0: Amen. And as you see to reach into that bulletin and pull out your sermon notes for today, we come to week three of a series that we have just simply titled Generosity, Living a Life of Impact. And we have talked the last three weeks about how the impact of our life can be exponentially expanded by our willingness to be generous with our time and generous with our resources and generous with our spirit. And when I think about generosity, I want you to do this. Think in your life. Who's the most generous person that you know, or maybe who has, been, who has been more generous to you than anyone you can remember in your life, because when I think about generosity, I think about my dad, um, and, and I think about it, and you can write this down, it's not in your sermon notes, but generosity is often, is often seen in sacrifice, and I think about the generosity of my dad in, in what I saw my dad sacrifice for our family when I was growing up. My older sister jill is a uh, is a year older than me. She was a year ahead of me in school. and i remember I remember really understanding my dad's generosity when Jill and I both were sixteen, and all of a sudden we lived in a family where four of us could drive, but we only had two cars. Uh, and I watched my dad continuously, give us the second family car, give us the safe car, give us the nice car, give us the car that got good gas mileage. My dad was always going out of his way to make sure we had what we needed. And in, and in response to that, my, my dad's response was, because you and Jill always need a car, um, he went to the junkyard and he bought himself a truck. And this, this became kind of the stage of life where my dad drove old trucks. Now, the truck he got from the junkyard um, was what I call a, a Fodge or adored because it was a truck that the front of it, the cab, and the engine were Ford, but the back of it was like a Dodge. I don't know if you grew up in a little redneck town like I did, but you know these types of trucks if if you did. And the front of it was red, and the back of it was blue. And sometimes it would start, and sometimes it wouldn't. And like the back, the back driver's side quarter panel was almost completely rusted off. And like Dad would like would drive this truck everywhere in a little town of 3,000 people where everyone knew everyone. It's like, dad, you cannot drive a truck this different colors, that's half Ford, half Dodge. Um, Like you're one of the principals at the school. You can't drive this piece of junk around. And he would always say, I want you guys to have the good one. Um, I remember we made fun of him so much that it was two different colors. And he was known as a guy with two different colors trucks that we came home one day and it was black. Um, And I said, dad, what did you do? And he said, I painted it. And I said, how'd you paint? He literally went and bought some black wall paint and got a roller and he painted his truck like you would paint a wall of your house so that it would all be the same color. Anything for us kids to have what we needed. I remember when my dad upgraded, my uncle had a little red truck that he like totaled in an accident. Um, and, and it really wasn't drivable anymore. And I remember my dad thinking that was an upgrade. And he said, "Hey, you know, Jim, I'll take I'll take that truck. I, I can fix it. I'll take that truck." And it was like one of those trucks where you had to like get in from the passenger side because the driver's side door didn't really work, and you had to kick it a couple times to get it to start. And it was always breaking down. But this this was the dad I knew growing up. He wanted to be so generous to my sisters and myself that he was always sacrificing on our behalf. And when I left for college. And then I graduated from college. I always had it in my heart. I thought, you know, if God ever blesses me to be in a position and to have an opportunity, I'm gonna buy my dad a truck. Like that, I remember like as an 18 year old thinking, like one of the goals of my life was to buy my dad a truck. And several years after I graduated from college, uh, I I had a friend who had moved into Kansas City from Alaska. And he came in from Alaska, he bought a truck. And after six months, he decided that he was going to move back. And he had this truck that he was complaining about. That you know, He said, I don't want to ship this all the way back to Alaska. It's going to cost more to ship than it's worth. And I remember having this desire. And I said, listen. And I kind of explained to him what I explained to you. And I said, I've always wanted to buy my dad a truck. Can, like, what can we work out here? And he said, well, listen, I pay cash for it. So, but, you know, I'm, I'm not really out any money. I said, I, I tell you what. He said, why don't you just write up a little contract. He said, give me 150 bucks a month for the next five years if you miss a payment no big deal if you don't have enough one month no big deal um and he said i'll sell you this truck and you can give it to your dad so on father's day 2003 danielle and i danielle was pregnant with uh, our little girl casey we we got in and drove just south of chicago Uh, to surprise my dad my mom and my sisters who all live there and knew it he didn't and we parked right outside his office so that he would literally walk out and see us so we're parked like facing his office door and I'm in the driver's seat and Danielle's in the passenger seat and he comes you know walking out of his office and we honked and started waving to him he kind of gave us a casual little wave and kept walking by and we like just laid on the horn and not till he saw my mom in the driving in, in the parking lot taking pictures did he realize what had happened and he said what is this and i handed him the keys to the truck and i said we have bought this for you because you deserve it the way you have treated us and always put us first that he was still driving the little total red truck at the time i said you need to throw that away and this is your truck now um, fast forward 10 years this august um, dad calls me out of nowhere and leaves me a message hey i need to talk to you about the truck I haven't thought about the truck in forever it was like the first car that I paid off and it wasn't even uh, for me because I didn't know to do that at that point in my life uh, and I called him back and he said hey I'm um, considering finally buying myself a truck and upgrading um, And he said do you care if, like would it offend you if I traded this in or I sold it and I said of course not like it was a gift it's yours do whatever you want with it and he said I thought you were gonna say that uh, mom and I have decided to give it to you uh, the car you're driving doesn't work good enough anymore it's always breaking down and he said, this has 100,000 less miles on it than yours. He said, I want to fly you up to Chicago. And he said, we, want, we, we feel like we're supposed to give this back to you. Um, now, I did not give my dad that truck so that one day he'd give it back. It wasn't really even in my mind that, that if I gave him something, he would give me something in return. And that type of, that type of attitude that we expect people to give us things is actually called entitlement. And in our Supernatural series, we said entitlement comes from the devil. It's a thought that someone owes me things and everyone ought to always be giving me things and everyone ought to always be looking, looking out for me. So I didn't have an attitude of entitlement. But at the same time, it didn't shock me that this blessing had come into my life because, because I had a spirit of, an attitude of, I made up a word that you'll see on your sermon notes. Um, I had an attitude of what I call entitlement. And I want to explain this to you during the message today. Entitlement is this attitude or this realization that your life is lived in the blessing zone of where God wants you to be. Entitlement to to me, just explaining this, can, can be described as the anticipation of not being surprised when you're blessed, when you're not expecting it, because God has said, if you live this way, I'll always take care of you. So the last several weeks, we've been talking about generosity. And we've been talking about how when we give a life, uh, when we live a life of giving, we bless people. And we said that generosity, if you're just following on your notes, when we live a life of generosity, it always produces blessings for those who receive it. So in 2003, um, I blessed my dad like crazy. Probably the greatest joy of my life as a son was to buy my dad that after everything he had done for me and i could never put a value on what he's done for me but to feel like i could give back a little bit probably the greatest blessing of my life and for a few years every time he would introduce me he would start crying and say and and tell the story of what i did and for me it was so simple but so proud see when when we live generously we bless those and when dad called me this august i was blessed and as Jesus said in Acts 20:35, he said it's always more blessed to give than receive. When we give, people are blessed. Uh, we talked last week about the fact that the more generous we are, the more we bless others. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul said, you're growing in all these spiritual areas in faith and speech and knowledge in earnestness and in love that we've kindled in you. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Paul said, learn how to become an excellent giver because the more you give, the more you bless people around you. And we talked about what we call the generosity ladder. How, How do you develop a spirit of giving? Because we live in a culture that has a spirit of taking. Let me tell you how you know you have You have at one time had the spirit of taking. If you have credit card debt, you not only have used everything that's been given to you, but you've taken more. We live in a country that's buried in credit card and consumer debt because we're not just satisfied with what we have, but we we need to take more. Jesus said you can live as a taker, you can live as a giver. We're not in a culture that lives to give, but a lot of us are givers. We said that the, the first level of giving is the casual giver. Pastor Ryan said last week, this is the person who feels like that they can help or they should help in a particular situation. Let me tell you when you've become a casual giver, when, when Hurricane um, Sandy hits the East Coast and you're watching it and you hear that you can text to make a donation you've become a casual giver realizing that what you have can can make a difference in the life of someone when you adopt a little girl that we support in India or uh, you see something happening in Africa or in the Middle East that you care about anytime you feel led to give to someone who's on the street anytime you feel led to give you become generous and even as a casual giver, you're blessing people radically. Casual givers then climb the level and they they become consistent givers. Consistent givers say, not only do I realize I can give, but I'm gonna commit to a particular mission and I'm gonna live my life giving through this. I'm gonna be consistent in my generosity. I'm gonna be all in and I'm gonna make a difference. We said the third level of the generosity ladder is the proportional giver. This is someone who begins to see what they have as a direct reflection of what God has given. And they say, I, I want to take a portion of what I've received and I want to give back. And their giving now is in proportion to what they've received. So if they feel really blessed, they give well. If, if they're low, they don't, they don't give a lot. But they're, they're now giving in proportion to what they receive. And all these levels are phenomenal. If you exist at any of these levels, level one, two, or three, you have become a conduit of blessing in someone's life. If you have given a dollar to a church, to a nonprofit, to a man on the street, if you have text messaged in a $10 gift for someone around the world who's experienced tragedy, if you've given once, you have become a conduit of blessing in the world like God wants you to do. But we learned last week that there's a generosity fact number three. There's a generosity tipping point where God promises to return our spirit of generosity to us. So the casual giver and the consistent giver and the proportional giver, when they give, they bless people who receive. But we said last week that level four, the tithing giver, something strange happens that when you get to the tipping point, not just of giving, but of tithing, and I'm gonna talk you through that word, God says, not only are the people you're giving to blessed, but he said, I promise if you will get to this generosity zone, I'll bless you too. So you live in a weird paradox that I call the blessing zone because those who receive get blessed, those who give get blessed. It's like blessing out, blessing in, blessing up, blessing down. When you give according to God's scale of generosity, God says at this point, you hit a tipping point where blessing begins to flood back into your life. Now, let me tell you why this issue is important to me. Uh, when I was young, I liked to collect things and maybe, maybe some of you are like me, you're, you're collectors. Uh, the first thing that I started collecting when I was little was baseball cards. And I still have in my basement, I mean, jeez, maybe 10,000, I mean, trunks and trunks and albums and albums and shoeboxes and shoeboxes of baseball cards from when I was little. I have some that haven't been opened yet that are still in packets and the piece of gum is still in there in case of one day I just ever want to open it and chew a piece of gum. I mean, and every time we move. Danielle's like like should we get rid of these and I said you don't say that we, we, we're never going to get rid of the baseball cards Because I collected those baseball cards. I remember at one point. I collected the plastic batting helmets and every birthday every Christmas every anything that I'd have somebody would buy me a plastic batting helmet and at one time I had every major league baseball team of Plastic batting helmet and just like last year Daniel made me sell those at a garage sale because they were still I'm 35 now and They're still in our basement and I remember walking out in the front yard And there's all these little kids from the neighborhood running around with all my hats on and I was, I was kind of sad in my heart I was like, you know I spent all that time collecting those hats and these little kids are probably gonna break them before the end of the day Um, like I I hate eating at McDonald's Um, I don't think most of their food is real and if you work at McDonald's I apologize for that statement but the more I read the more scared I am to bite into something um, from McDonald's except for a french fry Uh, but when they have the monopoly game going on like when they've got the monopoly game going on that's kind of where I live because if I can collect enough things on that little game board I could win a million dollars or a free car or something. I, I like to collect things. My thing now is team sports gear. Every time I go to a city outside of Kansas City, I'll find the major university or I'll find the professional sports team. And I don't know that I own a t-shirt that doesn't have a college football team or major league baseball team or professional football team, the logo on it, because that's, that's kind of my thing now. I, l- I like to collect things. And spiritually, a few years ago, I learned how to collect Blessings. I learned in the Bible that there's places where the Bible said if you do this you'll be blessed and I, I kind of I found myself like on a blessing scavenger hunt And any time the Bible said do this and you'll be blessed it was like I, I'm gonna do that and I started collecting I started collecting blessings we'll leave 16 people from our church next week we'll leave to go to Israel you say why are you going to Israel because Genesis 12:3 says if you bless Israel I'll bless you I'm collecting blessings God says if you do this I'll bless you okay I got check it's like I, i'll check that one off my scavenger hunt list uh in james 1 Uh, God says, if you really want to be blessed, you'll do real ministry. You'll minister to orphans and widows. So we're like, okay, let's let's go to India and let's minister to some orphans. Check, because if we do this, God promises to bless us. In Hebrews 13, God says, if you remember the people who are persecuted and have a hard time in ministry, I'll bless you. So we found some pastors in Africa who live in persecuted areas and people want to kill them just because they're trying to hand out Bibles. And we said, we're going to support them because we're collecting blessings. We're like on this scavenger your hunt, collecting blessings. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said people one day are gonna inherit the blessing of eternal life if they feed people who don't have food and give water to people who don't have water and they give clothes to people who don't have clothes and they go and visit people who are in jail who everyone else has forgotten about. And I thought, you know, if we have a church, we need to live our life as a church doing those things because we wanna inherit the blessing of God. So I'm constantly trying to feed people who don't have food and clothes people who don't have clothes and we're constantly trying to figure out how to get water to people who don't have water. And I got a message this week from someone in our church whose fiance. Is getting, has to go to 30 days of rehab and then has to be in lockup for 90 days for just a kind of a tragic thing that happened a few years ago. And they said, you know, will you reach out to them? And I said, absolutely, not just for them, but I live in the blessing zone. When I reach out to them, I am blessed according to scripture. And when I found Malachi chapter three, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Malachi chapter three. When I found out what the Bible had to say, about blessing through giving, the promises that the Bible offers in blessing through giving and if you don't know where Malachi is, go to Matthew. Matthews the first book of the New Testament, malachi is the last book of the old testament it's much easier to find by starting at the new testament and just going backwards and if you don't have your bibles today our ushers are going to come down the aisle if you want a bible you can have one we've we've passed out more than 500 bibles since our church began this way if you want one grab one from the usher in the table of contents you can find malachi and underline these verses and then take these, this bible home and begin your own blessing scavenger hunt trying to figure out where jesus says be blessed in matthew chapter 5 Jesus begins Matthew chapter 5 with eight different statements of you'll be blessed if you do this in January. I'm taking the entire month of January to preach through what's called the Beatitudes, the attitudes of blessing from Matthew chapter 5 because I'm on a blessing scavenger hunt. And if the Bible says do this and be blessed, I'm going to do everything I can to do this. In Malachi chapter 3, we see where generosity and blessing intersect. And here's what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe, I need you to circle that word tithe, because the tithe is the tipping point. The tithe is the tipping point. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, underlying so much blessing, not just blessing, but so much blessing, that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. See, the Bible says that there is a tipping point of generosity where when we cross that threshold of generosity, Jesus says you live in the blessing zone. And not only are you blessing people you're giving to, but you're blessing yourself by giving at the level that God wants you to give. Now, let me say this before I jump to talking about how to live in the blessing zone. I hate when preachers talk about money. It's just my my personal thing. I'm bothered by it. I don't like it. I had a, a, someone who came to our church for the very first time today came up, and said, hey, just wanted you to know they're here. And I, I wanted to say, come back in three weeks when I'm not talking about money. I tell our people, don't invite people this month. I talked to people and I was talking to a guy yesterday in Panera who um, we just struck up a conversation. I saw him studying the Bible. He said, where's your church? And I told him, I said, no, listen, don't come this month. Like, I, we'd love you to come visit our church, but not this month. Because a lot of people get turned off. I need you to know what I'm talking about. Today's not a pledge campaign we don't need your money we're not doing this because we're short and we can't pay our bills this really is not a money series it's a blessing series so if you're uncomfortable and you feel like oh here we go pastor just wants my money no i don't want your money we really don't need your money there will be a day when our church buys land or or builds a building that we'll need money and and we'll tell you then but this is this is not about money we don't we don't need any more right now god's been really really good to us as a church but if we can learn spiritually how to live in the blessing zone, how to pass the tipping point of generosity, I believe that your life will be radically changed and radically blessed in a way that maybe it's not right now. So that's what I want to teach you today about giving. What does the Bible teach about tithing? A couple things. Uh, first, tithe means tenth. A tithe is not an offering to a church. A tithe is not something you give a nonprofit. The word tithe is not a spiritual word. It's a mathematical word. It means 10th. Tithing occurs when your generosity level reaches 10% of your income. You say, what if my generosity level is 1% of my income? Awesome. You're probably way ahead of most of the world. What if my generosity level is 3% of my income? Awesome. You're probably blessing a lot of people. What if it's 8%? That's great. What if it's 10 you've entered the blessing zone and and this is best case scenario for you now because now you're blessing those you give, but you're inviting blessing back on your life. I hear a lot of people say, well, Christian Malachi is in the Old Testament. Um, You know, New Testament, I don't have to tithe anymore. That's Old Testament stuff. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23. He's talking to people who believe they can buy their way to heaven. And I love what he says here. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You give a tenth, I love it Jesus uses the percentage here instead of the word, makes it easier to understand. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's my favorite part. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Say, so what would Jesus say about the tithe? Listen to me close, I wanna give you my theological position. Jesus would say, you should tithe. He said, do I have to tithe? Nope. You see, the Old Testament requirements were replaced with New Testament requirements righteousness Old Testament requirement says this is the only way you can earn your way to favor with God and Jesus says You know what? You can't earn your way to favor with God. I'm I'm gonna die on a tree so you don't have to But all the stuff the Old Testament said you should do it You really should do it So Christian do I have to tithe? Nope. Can I go to heaven without tithing? Yep What would Jesus say you should you should you should read your Bible? You should give you should serve you should obey the word of god i mean jesus actually says people who really want to follow me they'll do everything the old testament says not because they have to but because they want to you should you don't have to but you should and i love these pharisees they not only gave 10 percent of their money like if they had a loaf of bread every tenth slice they took to the temple jesus said you take your spices and you have measured out your spices so that a tenth of your spices you give to the temple that's crazy you're trying to earn your way to God. Now listen, you can't earn your way to God. Now you should give, you should give a tenth, but not so you can earn, earn your way to God, so you can live in the blessing zone. Number two, the tithe was known in scripture as the first fruits offering. Say, so what does that mean? Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Here's the thought of the first fruit often, because first fruit means exactly what it says. It's the first fruit. Picture yourself not as someone who earns a paycheck, but as someone who has an apple tree. And God said, here's how I want you to respond in giving. When the apple tree begins to bloom, and when it begins to blossom, the very first fruit that grows on the apple tree, the very first one that's ripe enough to pull and eat, the very first one, I want you to take the first fruit off, And I want you to set that one aside and give it to me because here's what that shows me your spirit expresses. It expresses that you have the spirit of a receiver, that you understand that this has come from me and that you did not grow this apple yourself, but I did. So tithing, when when you say the first 10% of what I get, I'm giving away, you have the spirit of a receiver. It expresses a spirit of gratitude. God, thank you for this. I can plant a tree and I can even till the soil and I can try to water it but I can't make the sun come out and I can't make the seasons change and really this fruit, this corn, these potatoes, they have no chance to grow without you. So I see myself as a receiver and I see myself as grateful for what has been given to me but then it expresses a spirit of trust because here's what someone says, someone who only has one apple hanging on a tree who will take that apple and give it to God is basically saying this, God, I'm going to take this one And I'm going to trust that there are more coming after it. And God, this is the only one that's ripe enough to eat right now, but I can see the blossoms and I can see the buds and I can see the little apples. And God, my belief is that if I will take the first one as a receiver with gratitude, I can prove my trust by saying, God, you take this one and thank you for the rest that are going to come later. The Bible says the tithe number three becomes the holy part of our income. This has been kind of a, um, a head-shaking reality to me this week. As I have studied through this, God has revealed some stuff to me. I actually said this week as I was studying, I thought, God, shame on you. Because when I see how this works, I thought, that's not fair. Let, let me show you what I mean by the holy part of your income. Leviticus 2730 says, a tithe, means 10th, of everything from the land, whether grain or the soil or fruit or trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Leviticus 27, 32 says, every tithe of the herd of the flock, every 10th animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. The word holy means set apart to God or set apart for God. It means that I'm taking this portion of what I have and this portion is God's. It's not mine, it's God's. But here's, here's the crazy thing that I learned this week that caused me kind of to shake my head at God. And I had, I had some conversations with God about this this week. The holy part of our income, this first 10% of our income, as holy, is untouchable, but it's accessible. And that's how God designed it to be given to us. God said, I'm going to give you this untouchable portion that's for me. It's going to be accessible to you, but it's meant to be untouchable to you. And I looked at that and I thought, God, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. Why don't you just give us 90 and let us do whatever we want with it? Why do you have to tempt us? Why why give us 100 if we're only supposed to have 90? Why would you do that? And I felt like God said, go back to the garden, Christian. Go back to the garden of Eden. What did I do there? I thought, all right. He said, I told Adam and Eve they could have everything in the garden, but I also put something in the garden that while it was accessible to them, it was untouchable for them. And Christian, I did it not to tempt them, but I did it to test them them, to see if they would be willing to live within the parameters that I laid down because I'm God, to see if they were going to be greedy or godly. And what I learned is that the holy part of our income was intended to be a test, and it was intended to be a trust. When God gives you 100%, he's saying, I trust you to do the right thing with all this, and I trust you not to touch my part of this, and I I would only give you 90, but I, I trust you trust you to do the right thing, and here's a test for you to pass, just like Adam and Eve had a test to pass, and unfortunately, they failed theirs. Isaiah 40, 31 says this about trust. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. So we see that the tithe is is holy to the Lord. It's, It's accessible to us. You can have it. You can spend it. It's in your bank account but it was intended to be untouchable for you. And then number four, the tithe we find becomes the spiritual key in your life that unlocks blessing and protection. So God says when your generosity hits this tipping point, there are spiritual doors in your life, in your job, there are spiritual circumstances in your life that get unlocked for you to walk through when your generosity reaches this tipping point of 10%. We read this and spiritually we would say, my gosh, why doesn't everyone do this? like this is pretty simple spiritually why would not everyone do this can I be honest with you and just talk through some some honest answers why doesn't everyone do this one it's a lot of money right it's a lot of money in a culture where money is not piling up at our door and people aren't given huge raises and 10 percent of our income is is a lot Uh, most of us have not budgeted our lives and our mortgage and our cars and our student loans, and our debt, and our grocery, we've not budgeted on 90%. So as much as we say spiritually, this is an awesome idea, it's like financially, this is impossible. Some of us um, have had our tithe misused in the past. We kind of started this way, and we gave 10% really faithfully, and we watched somebody misuse that 10%, and we just said, never again. I believe it spiritually, but I I will not give it to a man, I will not give it to an organization. I just, you know, I'll give it away as I see fit, but I just, I, I just can't do it anymore because I feel like I, I got burned. Some don't want to. You say, yeah, I just, you know, that's not for me. Some would say, I don't care what the Bible says, but I don't know that there's anyone in here that, that doesn't care what the Bible says or that doesn't want to. Most of us are just in a place where, where it's kind of hard. So how do, we, how do we get from where we are to the tipping point of generosity where we live in the blessing zone? Well, let me give you the generosity mindset of people who live in this 10% range of the blessings. And one, for them, they're thinking, this is a spiritual transaction that I believe in. This is a spiritual transaction that I believe in. This is the thought of you're on a scavenger hunt for blessing and you're just, I just really believe if I do. The Bible says if I do this, I'll be blessed. I really believe that. So I do this. This is one of the few areas I find with people that they actually feel like they can meet God's standard, meaning this. I don't know that i ever feel like i read the bible enough i don't know that i ever feel like i pray enough i don't know that i ever feel like i don't sin enough or that my thoughts are spirit like i don't have a gauge in those areas but like 10 percent is 10 percent. if i have a calculator it's like this is it's one of the only areas where i feel like i can actually meet god's standard and it, and it becomes a financial transaction but it's a lot easier to believe than to achieve and here's the reason why statistics tell us that Less than 35 percent of adults who go to church today—it's probably true in our church—grew up in church and never left church. So, less than 35 percent, less than one in three of us, grew up in church and at nine or ten had mom and dad give us a dollar and said, "Give a dime," or gave us ten dollars and said, "Give a dollar." And then at 16, we, you know, we washed the car. Maybe we got a babysitting job. We got paid fifty dollars and we gave five. And we never left church. And all the money that ever came through our hands was just tithed on. Most, two-thirds of the adults who are in church either came to faith after the age of 18 or they went to church until they were 18. Then they left until they got married and they came back and their budgets were already set as adults by the time they plugged in. And it's not that they don't believe it and it's not that they don't want to. It's just that they forgot to create room Because this isn't the way that they've always lived their life and it's hard to go from 0% to 10% overnight I love what John Rockefeller says He said i would never been able to tithe the first million dollars I made if I'd not tithe my first salary, which was a dollar fifty a week It's much easier to start young than just to pick up for where we are I mean think about the statistics that have been given to us by the finance consultants that we've been working with the average Lee summit income median income for people who have two people in a home working a job is $72,000. That's, that's the information that we've given, been given back. Some of you are way under that. Some of you are way over that. But the average couple that lives in the least Summit community brings in $72,000 a year. That means if they start coming to church and they believe that they should become a tither, that means that they're supposed to give $7,200 of their income like that. I don't know about you, but like that's not only a car payment that's a nice car payment or a couple car payment that's that's a mortgage payment that's like you can pay off your student loans using that money a lot faster like it just becomes very difficult to financially fit that into our schedule and believing becomes a soul transition I believe that this is right but giving becomes a financial transaction that I have to start building to this. That's why Pastor Ryan last week talked on the generosity ladder because most can't start bang at 10%. But if we can become casual, consistent, proportional, we can get there. We're blessing people all the way up. But when we hit that tipping point, the Bible says we begin to bless ourselves. Everyone I've ever met believes, number two, they embrace tithing for them as a spiritual sacrifice. I don't know one person who tithes because it's fun and I've never met one person in fifteen years of ministry that when I say, Hey, why do you tithe? They say, I just I just had an extra 10%, you know, that I didn't that I didn't need. I don't know if there's one person in here that 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 tithes 10% because they, they don't need or they can't use that money. All of us could use more. So it becomes a sacrifice. It becomes one of the things that we lay on the altar of following jesus in hebrews chapter 12 the author of hebrews said in your struggle against sin you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood which means every time we have a spiritual sacrifice we should compare it to jesus spiritual sacrifice and realize as great as it is it's not as much as jesus did for us he gave everything but 10 percent, yeah it's a sacrifice it's a big sacrifice for what i'm trying to do I talked to one family who had a very unique view on this, number three, where they said, Christian, we see tithing representing the empty seat of awareness in our life and family. And here's the story they told me. They said there were nine people in our family, mom and dad and seven kids. And they said, we realized early on that nothing came in nines. We'd get a pizza, and it would have 10 slices. We'd get a tray of brownies, and it would have 10 brownies. We'd get cupcakes, and they would have 10. And he said, I constantly found my family fighting over the last one. Who gets gets two? Everyone gets one, who gets two? So he said, I thought in order to kind of teach a spiritual lesson and to end the fight that I would say, anytime our family receives something with 10, the 10th one is God's. And he said, we literally put an extra piece of pizza on a plate and we just sit it aside and say that one. It kind of represented God in our midst. That our family's not nine, it's 10. And that's God's pizza, and that's God's brownie. And it's almost like, as, as elementary as this sounds, it's almost like giving God an allowance. It's almost scheduling God into the bill schedule. Of the, you know, this is ours, and this is our kids, and this is for college, and this is God's. It's the thought of that awareness that God is a part of what we're doing. In First Samuel chapter 20, verse 18, David and Jonathan, who were great friends, were splitting, and Jonathan said to David, "Tomorrow's a new moon feast, and you're gonna be missed because your seat will be empty. He said, the thought that you're not gonna be there and that your seat will be empty will remind us how much we care about you. And there's this thought that this 10%, when it goes, it's missed, but it reminds us who we're giving it to and how it impacts him spiritually. And then number four, tithing. According to Malachi 3, it allows us to carry what I call the blessing gene. It allows us to kind of release blessing into our life and In weird ways that we wouldn't know about let me illustrate this point for you if you've ever been to my house um, Or if you've ever been to my driveway when the garage door is open My wife will not let us wear shoes in the house I don't know if there any of you are like that, but we're not allowed to wear our shoes in the house Um, So we used to have our shoes just piled up on the ground um, In in the garage and I had a boy scout who was in my youth ministry said hey I can build you some shelves and he built us some shelves to kind of get um, our shoes up off the floor. So if you walk into our garage, it kind of looks like the JC like shoe department. I mean like there's little kid shoes and then Danielle's shoes, and then another row of Danielle's shoes, and another row of Danielle's shoes. And then I've got like this, this shelf up here with some of my stuff and I never throw away a pair of shoes. So I've, I've got like shoes from the 90s that are still hanging out up there that one day will come back in style and I'll be able to kind of roll my jeans up and it, it'll, be, it'll be cool. Um, but we've got these shoes kinda all over our house and one of the reasons we initially felt led to get them off the floor is because when we moved into our first house I didn't know that a garage was something like you really had to take care of so I kinda treated it like a basement um, and, and what inadvertently happened is we, we basically invited a colony of mice to come and live in our garage it was like flushed away I don't know if you've ever seen that but like there there was like an entire community of mice that were living In our garage and every time we came out we'd have to kill another one And I I think it like on one day we finally set traps and we killed like six or eight I mean like an entire family of mice went to heaven on that day because (laughs) of the traps that we set in our garage So we had this thought that we just we don't wear shoes in the house and we don't set shoes on the floor Well fast forward a couple years um, It it was kind of when you know I hate wearing dress shoes if it were up to me I'd wear tennis shoes every day uh, I'm a tennis shoe guy. If I won the lottery, one splurge that I'd have, I'd, I'd probably buy 25 pairs of tennis shoes. I just, it's kind of my thing. I wear boots when I preach, but I hate dress shoes. I hate how they squeeze my feet. I hate how their toes are pointy. But a few years ago, it got dress shoes. They, they created this style of shoe that was almost like a genie shoe. It got like real long and narrow at the front and it was kind of squared off. And, and I bought a pair of these, but they were really uncomfortable. So I just threw them in the closet and I thought, I'm not gonna wear those anymore well, Danielle and I had an appointment with a family that we had to go see to spend some time with their daughter and take her out to lunch and try to get her engaged in our youth ministry. So as we're leaving, I kind of slipped these shoes on one day, these uncomfortable shoes that I hadn't really worn very much. And we're driving, we had to drive to, to go pick this girl up. And the entire time we're driving, I'm just thinking like, these shoes are so uncomfortable. Um, and we get her and we go to lunch and the entire time, like I feel like my toes are like losing circulation. And the whole time, like, I wanted to just take my shoes off. But I thought, you know, that'd be inappropriate. So we go out to lunch, and then we come back to the church, and we're counseling through some things in the church. Uh, and we get done. And, like, the entire time, like, I'm kicking my shoe. You know, I'm just trying to get some feeling in my foot. And we go to show this young gal the youth room of our building, and we walk down the hallway. And this is, like, one of the first times I've ever met her. And I said, you don't think I'm crazy, but I, I'm, I have to take my shoes off because, the, like, something's not right with these shoes. So I kick off my shoe in the grand foyer of our church, kick it off and turn it over, and a little mouse runs out my shoe and down the hallway. I swear to God, there had been a live mouse in my shoe chewing on my toes for like five hours. And it lived to tell about it. I actually, I don't know, Ruth Ann Laurie didn't make it, did she? It was her sister. I said, make sure you get your sister here so she can verify my story. Because, like, she went and chased it down and picked it up and I think was going to take it home to, to be a pet. But I thought, I just carried a mouse around in my shoe all day long. And, it, you know, I'm thinking, this shoe doesn't feel right. And the mouse is probably thinking, this shoe doesn't feel right. You know, it's like, <laughs> whose house is this anyway? Um, but, but, like, What happened is when I took my shoe off, it released the little mouse to run down the hallway. And as awkward of a spiritual transition this is now. When we reach the tipping point of generosity, it's like we have blessing, unexpected blessing that it just resides in our life, resides in our family, resides in our relationship. And and at the time when we least expect it, it's like God releases a little blessing to run into our life like a dad who gives you a truck or a cousin who does this. He just, it's, it's like God just breathes a little, he sends a little generosity mouse into your life to really bless you. But it's hard to think of giving as spiritual and not financial. Because every now and then, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like real money. So back to the truck story. So dad, fly up to Chicago, drive the truck back. He had it cleaned better than I've ever seen it in life. He'd had the oil changed, all the hoses changed, filled it up with gas, gave me more money for more gas. I mean, my dad is like way too generous. And we get back and because we live in the state of Missouri and you have to have your vehicle inspected, that was the devil's idea, I'm sure. But my my dad told me, he said, I just want you to get the title changed and everything so I can get my new car and I don't don't wanna have a bunch. So he said, just get this done quick. So we came back and I took it to the inspection station um, to get it inspected so I could go get it titled and get the tags and it failed inspection and we took it to like three different places and the cheapest place for us to get everything fixed because it's a 13 year old car was like 986 bucks and I called my dad we did not want to put it on a credit card we did not have that money saved and I called my dad and said listen dad here's the deal Um, I know you wanted me to get that thing titled by the end of the year but Here's what we're facing. It just I just need a few months. I don't want to put it on a credit card um, and I need a few months to save up to do that. Is that okay? And he said, Yeah, no problem. Take your time. That night my mom calls me. She said, Listen, your dad told me what was going on. So we're going to send you a thousand bucks. Get it fixed and do it. And I said, Mom, I didn't I don't want you to do that. I didn't cost so you give me money. She said, Listen, we don't want to give you a gift that costs you money. So we're going to send you a thousand dollars, get it fixed. I said, All right, so they send a thousand dollars, they send a thousand dollars. We went and got it fixed the next day. So the first day of this series came kind of right after one of the paydays at our church. And I'm sitting in my office on a Sunday morning, and I'm writing out my tithe check. I have people ask me, do you believe? I give 10 cents on every dollar that I ever make, many times more. But I'm sitting in my office, and I'm writing out my tithe check. And as I'm getting ready to fill the number in, the Lord speaks to me and says, what about that? What about that thousand dollars? And as I'm getting ready to come preach to a church on generosity, I said, well, like, Lord, that was for the truck. That wasn't for me. Like, that was, you know, it was for the truck. And he's like, well, wasn't it given to you? And I was like, but it cost like $986. And if I tithe off of this, I'm not gonna, like, I'm gonna be in the hole. And God said, do you trust me? And I said, well, I'm not sure. And he said, do you wanna be a hypocrite in front of your people? I said, no, I don't wanna be a hypocrite. So you got me there. So I added a, an extra 100 bucks to my tithe check that morning. And I remember adding it, thinking, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'll do it. Can't come preach to the people about it if I don't believe. It. So I add a hundred bucks to it, give it to our ushers when I walk in that Sunday. And it's, it's kind of on my mind a little bit, but, but not a ton. Come in that morning, we're doing setup and tear down. And I pass a guy out in the nursery who's doing some setup up, tear down in the nursery. And he hands me a card. And he said, hey, Pastor Christian, this is uh, just pastor appreciation card from my wife and I, man. We really appreciate what you're doing. And I was kind of flying around. I said, oh, thanks, that's great. And I gave it to Karen Bond as a lady who helps me in our church. And anything people give me on a Sunday, I give it to her because I will lose it by the time I walk out of the building. So I said, put this in my car. Um, so I don't think about it. I get in the car on the way home um, and Christian's with me. And he says, uh, and it's laying kind of on the middle console. Uh, and he says, what's this? It's so, all, oh, it's a card someone gave me. He said, can I open it? And I said, sure. So he, uh, he took the card and he opened it. And when he opened the card, this money falls out and he goes jackpot you know like only my 12 year old son would and i was like son you're so unspiritual um and he's like no dad there's money in here how much do you think was in that cart? take a guess it's 100 bucks it was like god saying to me christian if you will live in at the tipping point of generosity i'll take care of you If your church will live at the tipping point of generosity, you you won't always have more than enough money and you'll always be paying off debt and student loans and this and that, but if you will trust me, I promise you this blessing is real. And as a church, I want you to know this. As much as I don't like to talk about money, I like to talk about spiritual growth and I like to talk about spiritual blessings. Had a friend call me last week, I said, Christian, I'm coming up to Kansas City. I want to eat at the best barbecue place in town. Where should I go? And I said, man, you got to go to Jack Stack. Uh, My dad called me two weeks ago. He he and my mom will celebrate their 40-year anniversary. He said, Christian, we're going to this place. I've never been there. What hotel should I stay at? I gave him the best hotel that I've ever stayed at. Had someone call me the other day and say, hey, I was going to take my kids to see 42, the, the movie about Jackie Robinson. Should I do it? And I was like, oh, yeah. I have no problem recommending things that have blessed me greatly to other people. So I don't know why I struggle with this. But I know this, if you were to ask me, Christian, what are the two things that you have experienced God through the most in your Christian life? I'd say number one far and away is reading my Bible. And I tell people, if you really wanna hear from God, just read your Bible every day. Six days out of the week, you might not get something great, but I pray, if you will read your Bible every day, you will hear from God. Secondly to me would be tithing. The things I've experienced that only God could orchestrate. I really credit to living in this blessing zone. And if you were to ask me, Christian, what do you think I should do? Without reservation, I would say, if you would be willing to get to this tipping point, you'd see God work in your life. So how do I do that? I go back to that old hymn. I, you know, did any of you grew up in a church where they sang the old hymns? One of my favorite old hymns is trust and obey. Trust and obey. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. When it comes to giving, it begins with trust. Then it begins and it goes to obedience and then it ends with happiness, blessing. At least that's what the Bible says until somebody can prove it not true in my life. My challenge to you would be to unlock the generosity of tithing in your life. Unlock the blessing of tithing in your life. Unlock the protection of tithing in your life. Might take you a year to get there but if you will take that journey and move in that direction and listen, if you've been burned by a church, don't give it to us. Find your favorite charity in town or in the country. Give it to them. You don't have to give it to us to get the blessing. All you gotta do is say, okay, God, this is yours and I'm gonna keep my hands off. That's all you gotta do. Find someone else to give it to if you don't wanna give it to us. But if you will go here with your finances, I believe you'll live in the blessing zone in an incredible way.